Hello, everybody. Good morning. We're going to get to the message this morning, and um, something that I wanted to make sure that you guys understood. Today's topic is a little bit of an interesting one, because for many of you, you probably don't hear many sermons on today's topic. You probably do a Bible study when you're getting ready to get baptized and you learn about this, or if you attend, our denomination is great in doing like Daniel and Revelation seminars. And then one of the topics that they do is that they address the topic for today, which is called the first great deception. So here's what's going on. For many of you here, you've probably heard about this topic when you did Bible studies or in a Revelation uh, uh, um, Revelation or Daniel seminar, you know, some kind of prophetic thing, or probably not at all. So what I did when I was going through this, my family will tell you, I, I, um, I shrunk the sermon down last week before I went to New Jersey down to like 20 pages. And then I got it down to like six and I was like, I can't take out any more because I want to make sure that even though today is not going to wow you, you know, some of you sometimes come to stuff that, man, I never heard that before. You've heard this, but here is the thing. I want to make sure that when you hear this message, that you really hear this message. That this is not like we're doing a Bible study on Thursday night and we see the repeated thing where it is not like when the disciples kept hearing that Jesus was going to die every other chapter. And then when he died, they're like, oh no, what are we going to do now? He's been telling you for almost the entire book. And then somehow when it happens, you are shocked. And so I want to make sure that even though we're going to overkill a little bit with text, that there's absolutely zero doubt. So we're going to go right to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, beginning with the very first deception. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, had God, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? If you remember the story of Genesis, you remember the story, the Lord says you can eat out of everything that you want except the one tree. And so immediately, the way that the devil works, he makes you doubt the word of God. Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of the tree of every garden? So he asks you a question. If you remember, when Jesus got baptized, he came up out of the water. And then the spirit of the Lord, like a dove, descended upon him and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's in Matthew 3, right? And then you go to chapter 4. It's not on the screen. But then you go to the very next chapter. And then what happens is that when Jesus is tempted, the devil begins by saying, If you truly are the son of God, there you go. And he goes and throws a temptation there. The devil always wants you to question the word of God. So that's how he begins his very first deception. Verse 2, Genesis chapter 3, verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the, the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse 3, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then verse 4, Genesis 3, 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die this is the very first deception that you can disobey god 
and still have everlasting life. That God says, the day you eat of it, you're going to die. And the very first sermon against God was by the devil when he says, you will surely not die. And then verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, with your, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so on this five verses that we've read here, you are seeing immediately how the devil begins, doubting God, and then from there, he tells the lie that you're not going to die, and then he gives you a fake promise. If you read chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, you know that we were already made in the image of God. Adam and Eve were already like God, and the devil tries to give them something that they already possess. That's how the devil works. He tells a lie. He offers up something that is not his to give or that he really won't give you, but yet he makes you think that it is there. I mean, you have to understand that if truly, if truly, the day that they eat of it, they were going to become like God, then the devil would have been proven right, and then the ends justify the means. That means that we could do whatever we want, disobey God to get some good reward. That is not how it happened. See, Adam found out, you know, that, that when, when they said we're going to be like God, it was really seeing good and evil and understanding that there was a penalty for that. That you're not going to die. Yes, they were. Genesis 3.19, look what it says. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for thus you are, and to thus you shall return. So guess what? The devil was partially right. Your eyes will be open. You will see, but they saw the repercussions of their sin. They saw the errors of their way. They saw what it was the bitter fruit of their transgression. And this is why later they were taken out of the garden so that they cannot partake of the tree of life because that was a way for them to live longer. Now they were no longer allowed to do that. Thus you are and thus you will be. It is pointing to the extinction or to the death of life. Immortality, it was promised to men on the condition of obedience, but because they obeyed the devil instead, they gave that up. And this is a concept that people just don't seem to understand. Over and over, people pray to, to their loved ones in heaven. They're, they're afraid of being tortured there. But this is giving you a twist of the character of God. And nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Romans 5.12, look what it says. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. So here in Romans 5, here's one of the things that is making very clear. Death entered because of sin. Adam and Eve sin. Now we are in trouble. We don't have eternal life. The only one that gives eternal life is whom? Jesus. Absolutely. 2 Timothy 1.10. Look what it says. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died for you and me. And because Jesus died, now we can have life. But life only comes through Jesus, not through disobedience. 
The idea that you can live eternally, even if you're being tortured in hell, is not in the word of God. John 3.36, look what it says. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, one of the things that I want to point out here about wrath, because it, it, the, the, the Greek word there is orge, all right? And here's what happens. It means wrath, it means anger, but it also means punishment. If I were to translate this, I would have probably choice, chosen punishment. If you don't believe in God, but the punishment of God abides on him. That's probably a bit more fitting when you look at the entire scriptures because you see God is a God who doesn't retain his anger forever according to the scripture. God is a God of love and mercy and he pleads with you. He doesn't want you to die. He doesn't want you to be hurt. He doesn't want you to receive this punishment and yet somehow, this idea of immortality, even after death, even if you were wicked, is being preached. It was preached by Satan, but it's being preached from the pulpits right now. There's plenty of churches out there who claim the love of God for God so loved the world that he gave his son. So they talk about love of God here, but then they paint a picture of God as though he is a torturer. And him and the devil are partners. They high five each other and, and the devil is just poking people in hell and maybe just, you know, burning him a little bit in the touche because they did something bad and torture for all eternity. Is God a torturer? I mean, my God is a just God. Imagine that one of my children does something that they're not supposed to, and instead of grinding them for a day or a week or spanking them a little bit, you know, if they're below the age of 10, I think that, that's still acceptable, right? You know, just a little, hey, don't do that, right? Uh, uh, imagine if instead of that, I say now for all eternity, you're going to be burning. Does that seem fair at all? If God is love, why does the world believe this? Because that was the devil's first deception. But yet, that scripture doesn't teach that. Look at Ezekiel 18.20. It says the following. Ezekiel 18.20. Ezekiel, there you go. The soul who sins shall live forever in torture. What does it say there? Shall die. The soul who sins shall die. Genesis 3.24. So he drove out the man. And he placed a cherubim at the east gate of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. How do we read Genesis and not realize that the very reason for being kicked out of the garden is so that they didn't live forever by partaking of the tree of life, yet we preach that we can live forever. Like my grandma used to say, you heard me say it here because I used to bother her, Joey... You know, when I come, when I die, I'm going to come back and pull your legs while you're sleeping in the middle of the night. That's what grandma used to tell me. And I've shared that from here before. But, but you know, that doesn't happen. The word of God does not say that at all. And understand something else. Why is God not a torturer? Because he is love. Ezekiel 33:11. Look what it says. Ezekiel 33:11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the what? In the death. He doesn't want this of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. 
Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? This is a pleading God. This is not a punishing, torturing, evil God for all eternity. Do, do you see how he is pleading with you? You know, and, and this is something that we're not able to understand. It is beyond the human mind. You know, how we can understand this. But yet, somehow we preach this eternal torment when it's nowhere in Scripture. You want to know why? This is a doctrine that was implanted by the devil. And it has been adapted by many churches and pushed through in many churches. And now the world believes that. There, there are books like Dante's Inferno and there are movies and everything else that are just there showing all of these different things. But look at Revelation 14. It predicted this was going to happen. And another angel follows saying Babylon is falling, is falling, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This represents false doctrine. Very, very briefly, for those of you who have never done prophecy before, Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride. And so what happens is that, symbolically speaking, if we as, as, as bride of Jesus are partaking of other gods, we are cheating. We're committing adultery. We're fornicating. And so wine represents in this section of Scripture... It represents, and you see that later in chapter 17, we don't have it note on the screen, but it represents false beliefs or false doctrines. Like the fact that there is such thing as a hell forever. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that at the end times, when sin is done and over with, it's going to be through fire. Just as God promised after the world was destroyed with water, next time it will be with fire. But it will be a one-time event. It's not an eternal thing. There's a difference between burn up and burning. And the Bible talks about burning up, not burning. And, you know, I want you to understand something. I see some faces here that probably don't know me. Don't believe me. Go to the Word of God and study it for yourself. The Word of God, no matter how many times you put it to the test, the truth is going to come out true. But make sure that you test it because this was the first great deception. And right now, many people are being lost because of this. That grandma that I told you about, you know, she, 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 she passed away since. But when my grandfather first passed away, she spent the rest of her life no longer praying to God, but praying to my grandpa. Oh, honey, please watch over our kids. You know, your, you know what your son and your daughter did? And, you know, and is going and, and praying. So no longer asking God for forgiveness and ask for protection was asking the dead husband for protection and forgiveness. Do you see why it's important that you understand what the Word of God says? I mean, the fact that ministers of Christ accept this is a mystery. It is a mystery. There is no such thing as eternal life outside of God. 1 Corinthians 6.10, look what it says. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Revelation 21.6, look what it says. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he shall be my son. It's coming from God. Do you see that? Isaiah 3.10. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Isaiah 33, 11. Woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with him, 
For the reward of his hands shall be given him. Ephesians 5, 5. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. Remember the tree of life from Genesis? And may enter through the gates into the city. Verse 15. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I know I just threw at you like 50 texts back to back right there. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But notice over and over, only those who follow the Lamb receive life. If you don't follow God, there is no eternal life even being tortured in hell. That is not true. That is part of that great deception. I mean, you have to understand that the character of God has been revealed to us and how he deals with sin has been revealed to us. Let's go to the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, which is Exodus 34.6. Exodus 34.6. Look what it says. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. Verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. Psalm 145, 20. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Psalm 37, 38. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. So here you see the contrast. Those who love God, mercy, grace, forgiveness. But those who do not follow the Lamb wherever it leads, they will be done and over with. They will be cut off. Does it sound like they're going to be preserved forever? Yes or no? Not at all. But yet the world still believes this. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Does it say life in torture? No. Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a very simple formula. It was a very basic lie. But yet we have bought into it. When you read the story of Genesis, if you have read it, and when he says, you're not going to die, you're going to become like God. Did we believe that at all? We probably didn't because we saw the end of the story, didn't we? But yet why have we developed such beliefs? I mean, when you look throughout history, when you look, you know, pagan history, when you look at Greek and Roman gods, when you look even in our own nation right now, that this idea of immortality of the soul, even before Jesus showed up to the picture, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, talk about duality of the soul. You know, there's religions out there that believe that the soul is trapped in this body. And when you have seven good lifetimes, then you're finally free and all of these things. I mean, so many theories have been developed from one basic sentence from a preacher who was Satan. You will not die. But for all of us here, we need to understand what the Word of God teaches. Deuteronomy 3.15, look what it says. See, I have set before you today life and good, and then on the other hand, death and evil. Acts 24.15, 
I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both the just and the unjust. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Come on now. Yes, absolutely. Amen. And so I need you to understand this. I'm like Bible verse number 30 right now or 34, something like that. Uh, you know, plus, plus minus carry the two. And, 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 and I hope this is clear. But you know something? When I finish today and wrap it up in a couple of more verses, some are still going to say, yeah. But the Bible mentions things like, you know, eternal fire. And it mentions like, you know, uh, they were tormented day and night. Yeah, you're looking at two singular Bible verses in Scripture that mention that. One of them is in Matthew 25. Then you have another one, you know, further up in Revelation. You see that there. But when you look at this idea of eternal, it's all-consuming. You see that same language with Sodom and Gomorrah where they had eternal fire. Is there a place in the world right now where it's burning? Is Sodom and Gomorrah still on fire right now years later? Look at the satellites. Go visit the place. I went by there. It, It is put out. It burned it all up. This is not like when you light up a match and you still see the, 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 the stick, you know, after the match has been put out. No, no, it burns it all up. The Bible says it's going to be ashes under our souls. There's going to be nothing left by man that is going to be standing. Which, by the way, a quick sign note and digression has nothing to do with this sermon. Some of us are so busy building up our treasures here on earth. It's all going to be rubbles. Rubble, just completely destroyed. Isn't it time that we start building our treasure in heaven? Come on now. Anyhow, let's continue to see what the Word of God says. This is uh, John 5, 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the what? Graves will hear His voice. Verse 29, and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of what? So two types of resurrection, right? Very clear. And in the graves, Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So you see that very clearly that when we die, we're not floating around pulling our grandkids' legs because they were so bad to us when I was when we were alive. They're not in heaven looking down on us and praying for us. And they're not in hell below being tortured. None of that is taught in the word of God. This is a man-made belief. Psalm 37.10, look what it says. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Does it say that it's going to be there forever? No more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. Psalm 9, verse 5 and 6. Look what it says. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Verse 6. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities. Even their memories has perished. Does it sound like they're being preserved? Yes or no? No, absolutely not. Not only that. I love this part. This is when... You ever meet people that use the word of God to like try to fight you? Like they'll get the Bible, ha, in your face. 
I, I did that to grandma when she was threatening me. When I read this part here, we'll read it in a moment. Psalm 146.4, look what it says. It says, his spirit departs, he returns to the earth, his earth, and in that very day his plans perish, even to pull my legs in the middle of the night. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know what? And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Verse 6, also their love, grandma, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Now, I want to pause here for a moment before we go to the next text. Because I want you to understand something. Next time I'm here, I'll talk a little bit more about this. We're going to talk a little bit about how spiritualism has just infested our communities and our beliefs. I have to tell you, have you ever been really, really hungry? And no matter what it is, just sounds amazing. And then you eat it, and then after you feel stuff, it's like, oh, I regret it. That was actually disgusting. But, you know, because you were just starving. Imagine if a loved one were to perish, and they appear to you. Wouldn't you be tempted to believe that that is them? It's hard. I mean, I cannot imagine that. It, it is very, very difficult. You might be tempted to believe that, but they will have no longer a share under the sun. Yet, many people still believe that you can communicate with the dead. And we'll talk about that next time that I'm here, but it all comes from that first great deception. The first great deception. Now, look what Isaiah said. I mean, Hezekiah said, sorry, in the book of Isaiah, after his prayer was answered to live another 15 years. Isaiah 38, 18. Look what it says. For Sheol cannot take you. Death cannot praise you. By the way, Sheol is Hebrew for grave. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. Verse 19. The living, the living man, he shall praise you. As I do this day, the Father shall make known your truth to the children. So notice, he's saying death cannot praise you. Only the living can. But if our dead loved ones are in heaven, you know, the Bible says that when we're in heaven, we're going to praise God. If they're there, how come they cannot praise? Psalm 6, 5. For in death, there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Psalm 115, 17. The dead, just in case you were not sure, do not praise the Lord nor any who go down into silence. Understand that the Bible has been clear. I got a platter of text and I cut down like 14, 15 pages after cutting down like another 10 pages of tons of text in scripture that drive this point. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 29, and then verse 34. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. This is now King David, right? He, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Verse 34. Look what it says. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. David didn't ascend. If David didn't ascend, a man after God's own heart, why is my grandpa up there? Because they're waiting in the graves. Th does that make sense? Look what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians. He clarifies this a little bit more. Verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant 
or to have drinking of the wine of the wrath for her fornication, or to have bought into the devil's first great deception, or to have bought the lies that many preachers from the pulpit are bringing to you, saying that God, who is love, is also a torturer for eternity. Also saying that eternal life is given to you no matter what, whether you follow God or not, because you get to live forever. No, no. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. If you read the story of Lazarus, you know the Bible compares sleep and death together. Um, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And, and what does that say there? And the dead in Christ will what? Rise first, because they're in the graves, and they're going to rise up. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore... Comfort one another with these words. And so if you've ever been to a funeral in this church or others, you may have heard this text being read. But I need you to understand that. My dad and I, when we were driving down from New Jersey, he was asking me what my opinion was on cremation. And, and I said to him, you know, similar opinion to those martyrs that were burned at the stake, you know, for, for Jesus those who were hung, those who were blown up in an accident, those who were lost at sea and became fish food. It sounds terrible, but my God is a God that when he comes back and there's that shout, he's going to, we're just going to appear. Or do you think that this is going to be like a bad thriller 80s video where we're going to crawl out, you know, out of our graves? No, no, no. We're just going to, we're just going to be. At the shout of God, at the command of God, we're just simply going to be. And then, you know, for me, I, I, I want to like live as long as I can, you know, like, like I want to be there for my babies and everything else. And if I happen to be alive, when the Lord comes, I don't want to be stuck with this body for all eternity either. But the word of God has an answer to that too. Because, you know, the little gray here, absolutely no hair there. You know, some stuff over here, you know, but, 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 and, and vertically challenged over here. I mean, but, but, but look what the word of God says. First Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Verse 54, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Come on now. This is what the word of God says. And so the devil's first great decession was that you were not going to die. That is true if you follow God, but never in disobedience, never obeying the devil, never buying into his lies or his half-truths, but actually being those who follow the Lamb wherever it leads because salvation is only given to Christ. And then the promise that Christ gave his disciples is a promise that we can hold on to. John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. In my Father's house, 
are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so that's, that's it. That, that's the, the theme, the topic for today. My encouragement to you is that if you didn't know this before, if you're hearing this from the first time, if those who may be watching at home, if you're saying, yeah, no, but I still believe because of one or two texts in Scripture, even though I just gave you, I think it's like 53 or 54 slides of text that says otherwise, and there's more. By the way, email us at TallahasseeFirstSDA at gmail.com and I'll be more than happy to give you the full unedited 30-page sermon and you can look at all of that stuff. The, the Board of God says it very clearly. Stop believing and perpetrating the lies of the devil that are really damaging the character of God. So if you didn't know this, now you know. If you have doubts, don't believe me and study it for yourself because this is something that has salvation at stake. How you perceive the character of God. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Let us pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we love you. And we are so grateful for your love and your mercy. We're so grateful because your character is revealed through the scriptures. We are so grateful for your love and your mercies. And for being so clear on where we are. Give us the strength to not buy into the lies. Give us the strength to not trade our, 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 our eternal lives for something temporary here in this world. Lord, be with us and bless us and keep us. Help us walk in your ways. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.